I have a task given to me tonight to speak to the church and maybe even open up something in our world. We we are standing in a, a juncture, some pivot point, I suppose. And I would concur with Sister Kendra and we <clears throat> believing that God has spoken to us today and we're prayerful about this moment. Perhaps if I would just read the scripture, we can collect our thoughts. Could you collect your thoughts? Maybe if you're not on call, maybe slip the phone into a concealed place where not a ringer or a vibrator could interrupt you. Maybe you could captivate a little attention and, and bring it into this house. Because the Lord has come to set a course for us. Amen. I read from the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. We would read of Elijah in the first verse. Elijah. Elijah departed. He found Elisha. Do you ever get confused who's who? Don't you wish their names weren't so similar? I've heard entire sermons about Elisha. It was really Elijah, but you know, I preach with the preacher anyway. I've heard sermons where Jonah was in the ark instead of Noah. And Hind's feet were thought to be a chicken's foot because the preacher misread Hines and thought it said hens. I would tell you that you might not want to know, but those are two different animals. Their feet are not the same. And I know you didn't want to know that, but I need to help you here. Because I also have a little issue sometimes with these two men. They're prophets. Elijah finds Elisha. And Elisha is plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. In fact, if you would consider that and his field, you would note that he is a man of means. He's not a poor man. He has certain wealth. And Elijah passed by him. He walks by and casts his mantle upon him. And the younger Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother. Something's happened here. There are no words written. Obviously, Elijah knows the significance of it, even though the scripture is silent in the matter I, I, I gotta kiss my mother my father I'm coming when the elder Elijah turns back and says go back again for what I have done to thee for the thing that I have done you would go back after what I've done and of course now a decision has to be made and he returns back from him he takes his yoke of oxen, he kills them, he cooks them, takes the instruments, the, all those wooden pieces, the yokes, makes a fire, he burns it all. He serves the meat to the people. And then he went after Elijah, served him. I hope I don't lose you here. I just need you for a moment. I preach tonight the question of flight 93. Everybody said in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Thank you for standing.
In the morning of September 11th, 2001, the world will change forever. Planes were hijacked and the nation was stunned. The death toll was the greatest ever witnessed on our American soil. We probably could not imagine such an event taking place. It's been a few days since this year's date. And I can safely say that people have moved on and they're on to next year's remembrance. I wanted to write about this earlier and I wanted to speak of the same, but the Lord kept me from it. It was almost as if God wanted me to separate the word from the event, at least for a while. Seventeen years ago, most Americans were going about their business without a thought or a care. Life was very much routine. No one ever took their shoes off when they checked in at the airport. No one ever considered that they would have to remove a belt buckle, backpacks, left unattended just for a moment while you take a picture, were never suspect. And the feeling of distrust did not permeate the air as it does now. I won't delineate it all, but two planes were taken and flown into the trade towers in the heart of Manhattan. The first tower came plummeting to the ground in a mere 102 minutes. The second was soon to follow. Four shy of 3,000 perished in the ashes that smoldered for days to come. Another plane was taken at Dulles and flown back into Washington, away and then back in. The tragedy unfolded as it made its way into the side of the Pentagon. About 200 people in all, both plain and in their offices, perished. It is telling of the stories of 9-11 that today a growing group, majority of people even, the growing majority, not the majority, but the growing are not aware of the fourth plane. While the devastation of 9-11 in New York is readily known, the picture of it garnishes buildings and papers alike. The attack on the Pentagon lags far behind. People are almost forgetting that that happened. But what ended in a lonesome field in Somerset County of Pennsylvania, nondescript place, of course, it garnishes the most blank stares. Most of what remains from the fourth plane are Todd Beamer's last two words, let's roll. In the days following the attack, let's roll. Banners unfolded against skyscrapers. There were bumper stickers. People sewed it on to their garments, placards, signs, images appeared with those words. So much has been made about Todd Beamer's last two words that I'm concerned that perhaps a generation will come and go and never understand the greater context of his final statement. First of all, Todd Beamer is not a name familiar to us, though it is etched in granite. He's not the only one of whom we should remember but his voice was critical and decisive in the last moments of their lives. It was Flight 93. They took off having spent 41 minutes on the tarmac headed for San Francisco. 
Four hijackers, hijackers boarded the plane without luggage. A fifth was supposed to be there, but he had been detained in Florida a couple months prior. And in a matter of moments, they used box cutters to remove the pilots, if I can put it in that kind way. By the time that Flight 93 was in the air, messages were already sent. News about what had happened in New York. People all over the United States had heard about it. 93 was in the air. People now on the plane found out. And they had a growing sense of what was about to happen when their plane was hijacked. And they had a growing sense of what they needed to do. It was happening to them. I won't offer them all tonight for the sake of time and maybe some emotional wherewithal we need to contain. But there are three messages left on voice recorders we must hear now. Passenger Lauren Grant Colas phoned her husband Jack at 9.39 a.m., about 11 minutes after the hijacking began, leaving this message on their home answering machine. Honey, are you there? Jack, pick up, sweetie. Okay, well, I just wanted to tell you I love you. We're having a little problem on the plane. Um, I'm totally fine. Um... I just love you more than anything, just know that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable and I'm okay for now. Um, just a little problem, so I'll, uh, I, I just love you. Please tell my family I love them too. Bye, honey. Passenger Linda Grundland phoned her sister Elsa at 9.46 a.m., about 18 minutes into the hijacking, leaving this message on her home answering machine. Elsa, it's Lynn. Um, I only have a minute. I'm on United 93, and it's been hijacked uh, by terrorists who say they have a bomb. Apparently they uh, have flown a couple of planes into the World Trade Center already and it looks like they're going to take this one down as well. Mostly I just wanted to say I love you and I'm going to miss you and, and please give my love to my dad and mostly I just love you and I just wanted to tell you that. I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to tell you that again or not. Um, all my stuff is in the safe. The, uh, the safe is in my closet, my bedroom. The combination is you push T for clear and then 0913. And then, uh, and then it should, and maybe pound, and then it should unlock. I love you, and I hope I can talk to you soon. Bye. Flight attendant C.C. Lyles phoned her husband Lorne at 9.47 a.m., about 19 minutes into the hijacking, leaving this message on their answering machine. Hi, baby. I'm, baby, you have to listen to me carefully. I'm on a plane that's been hijacked. I'm on the plane. I'm calling from the plane. I want to tell you I love you. Please tell my children that I love them very much. And I'm so sorry, babe. Um, I don't know what to say. There's three guys. They've hijacked the plane. I'm trying to be calm. We're turned around. And I've heard that there's planes that have been flown into the World Trade Center. I hope to be able to see your face again, baby. I love you. Bye. There were more voices and more calls, and there was more said than the final cry. Please don't get me wrong, I love the rally cry, let's roll. It is certain and sound, but it came after much deliberation. It came after about eight to ten of those passengers convened and they voted. It came after the question. I submit to you that you have to have an understanding of the question to really appreciate the final words. 
The question was, are you ready? Todd Beamer and those unsuspecting passengers were in the air. The plane was hijacked at about 9.30 a.m. And the hijackers turned it back towards Washington, D.C. Most people are oblivious to the phone calls, but there were more than what I presented here. Todd's wife was pregnant and he didn't want to call her and upset her. He did call, however, and he he got a woman, a lady, a switchboard operator. Her name was Lisa Jefferson. They talked for about 13 minutes. He held the phone line open. They spoke together of the Lord's Prayer. They recited Psalm 23. They had 30 minutes. It was a very speedy deliberation, but... Todd and other men, Mark Bingham, Tom Burnett, others. They realized what they had to do. Conversation about the real events unfolded before them. Hijacked proof from other phone calls. The pilots now lay dead. There was no question the plane is headed for destruction. So they are convening in the back of the plane. Todd Beamer is on the phone with Lisa Jefferson. She knows what's happening. The Twin Towers have fallen. The Pentagon has been hit. And Flight 93 is on its way back to the Capitol or perhaps the White House. They are 20 minutes from Washington, D.C. Though they were headed in the opposite direction, they are only 20 minutes. Other men and women are now finally determined, all of them. A flight attendant has apparently been knocked out or maybe she's been killed. It's the only flight recorder that we have of all the planes that crashed. The rest of them were incinerated. And so before they will take the food cart and ram it into the door of the cockpit, they have to answer the question. Lisa Jefferson can hear it all because Todd did not hang up the phone. It's Todd's question to all of them that are gathered around, huddled around. He asked them, are you ready? We can only assume that they will nod or say yes. And then he says, let's roll. The last words are right. But before Beamer said them, he had to submit the pinnacle of decision. And so he asked, are you ready? It's the question of 93. So they have decided to act. They all know that this is the moment of their lives and that they will not survive. It's almost impossible that any of them will make it out alive. So it's not just let's roll that determines who and what they will become. Think of it now. They have to answer a question of their lives. If I peruse through the scripture, I find Paul at the end of his life. He's offering young Timothy the most critical of words. He says to Timothy, preach the word, Timothy. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all suffering and doctrine. Watch in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of the evangelist. Make full proof of the ministry. He's giving Timothy some last words of reminders. They are large ideas. They are overarching instructions. But then Paul turns his attention inward and he writes... I, for I am now ready to be offered. It's almost as if Paul was answering his own question. Are you ready? Yes, I am ready. It was his way of saying that he knew his ministry was over. Not because of his age. Not because of willpower or passion. There was plenty of that left. He could have lived long past the days of his own execution. But he knew that for the cause of Christ and for the cost of the gospel, his death and indeed his days were now pressing and appending and certain. Paul is not the only one. He's not the only one who thought that to live is Christ and to die is gain. James, the brother of John, was among the first to be killed for the cause. He could have hid among the people, but that was never in his blood. James and John were so very young when the Lord called them. They were so full of energy, even overzealous to say the least. When Jesus found them, they were rabbinical dropouts cast in the profession of their father's trade represented by an overbearing mother but the three and a half years of ministry with jesus changed their lives they they were they were 
they were not the only ones, but they were among those in the upper room church on Pentecost. But for years now, they were preachers and teachers, both among the Jews and the Gentiles. About 13 years after Pentecost, James now was caught by Herod, the grandson of Herod the Great, who then took James and thrust him through with a sword. Scripture says that James died by the sword and that it pleased the Jews. He was just one of many hundreds, thousands indeed, that were ready to give their lives in exchange for the message of Jesus Christ and for the gospel. And I know standing here preaching, I know how it sounds sort of sadistic, as if all this alone proves your passion for Christ. But the great matter is how far away we really are from self-sacrifice. We can barely wrap our minds around living in a place that just being a Pentecostal is enough for, perse- for persecution, let alone dying for the cause. But there are many places in the world that just being a Christian or a Pentecostal is cause for death. Peter knew it well. Peter wanted his readers to be prepared. He wrote, and I quote, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready to give an answer. He talked about it time and again. He even told those who aspire to the ministry to have, and I quote 1 Peter 5 to a ready mind. It's the question tonight, are you ready? It's what you decide to do. It's the place where you decide to live and die. Are you willing to, willing to give up yourself for the sake of other people? Because sometimes in order to save someone else, you have to be willing to lose yourself. Sometimes for you to see the greatest victory, you have to lay it out all on the line. And I stand here to ask, are you ready? All of what God has promised and what we know from the prophetic word from people who have stood here hinges on the question, are you ready? There has to be an answer. I'm talking about a last day revival. I'm talking about our city and our world because while we all want to shout back an affirmation, let's roll. We first need to answer the question, are you ready? Are you willing to pay the price for revival? Hear me, most churches are not. Are you willing to give up things to help people that you don't know? Most churches are not. Are you willing to build something that may not seem palatable to you? Are you willing to do something that you don't even really enjoy? Most people are not. Are you ready? Are you ready to die for a cause? Are you willing to do something that in the end leaves you personally well off than you began? Because to have a real apostolic first century church, you have to pay the price of a first century church. Oh, I know how it all goes. We all want to talk about a first century beginning revival church, but we, we want to enjoy the comforts of the 21st century. This word that I preached to you is large, it's expansive, it's visionary, it entails time, it consumes the strength of your life. I'm standing here after almost 19 years, pardon me if I'm a little nostalgic, I'm standing here after almost 19 years, 19 years of preaching this, almost 33 years of preaching the gospel, and I can tell you that to do what we're doing here tonight, and to be where we need to be, is going to take a lot of time and effort and energy and prayer and sacrifice and sweat and disappointment. I'd like to do a little bait and switch with you. I'd like to tell you that if you just get in, everything's going to be good. I'd like to tell you that if you give your tithes and offerings, you're never going to have a weak time or a doubting time. But I want to be honest with you. He'll open up heaven, windows of heaven and pour out you blessings you cannot contain. But those blessings are not always financial blessings. Stop thinking this is a get-rich scheme. It is not. We can't anoint our dollar bills and think that they're going to multiply. Dear Lord in heaven, if that was true, let's go let's stop all this stuff and let's go find that anointing oil. It's not true. That's a lie. Hear me. If we're going to have what we need to have, it means you, sir, you, ma'am, you, young person, you, young adult. It means you've got to get on board. It means you've got to give up everything. It means you've got to suffer and die for the cause of Jesus Christ. I don't want to have a rally cry. I want to ask a question. Are you ready? Are you ready to eat and breathe and sleep truth? Because in the nighttime, I get up in the night and I'm praying. And in the morning time, I'm grieving over people. And when I see their faces or when I see them out in the streets, I'm wondering, is the church ready? I don't know if we're ready or not. Are you ready to take a back seat so that someone else could take the front seat? And I'm not talking about it literally. How about repeating the same process of loving and helping people? With nothing in return. Are you ready to have some dry times? 
Are you ready to have empty feelings, efforts without reward? Because it's going to take all of that to have the revival. Consistency, growth. You want to make a friend and make a disciple? It's going to take... It's going to take trudging through a miry pit and clay when your feet feel worn down and you're tired of dealing with the same person and taking them out to eat and they're all, you're always the one paying and they're always the one question. You're always lifting them up, lifting them up, lifting them up, wondering when you're going to quit. Hear me. If you want to have a Holy Ghost revival, you better get knee deep in this thing because there's a lot of things that are not going to come with reward until the end. I'll give you the word of it. I'll tell you the word. It's me sitting at another, at, at yet another kitchen table answering the same questions about the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. It's me comforting new people, putting my arms around them while they cry as they tell me about how their family members would rather, rather than party on Saturday than worship on Sunday. <laughs> they aren't the only ones. But my level of compassion has to reach the level of the original. When the first person asked me that, and I wept with him and said, No, you can't give up on God. I gotta plead with him. I gotta convince him. I gotta be Paul before Agrippa. I gotta convince you, you gotta stay. I gotta convince you, you gotta love. I don't care if you've got cancer. I don't care if you've got diabetes. You gotta love God. He can heal you. But if not, you gotta stay true. Even if you lose everything, you gotta stay true. Are you ready to have those conversations over and over and over and over again? Because if you're not ready, you can't say, let's roll. We're not ready for a revival rally cry. We're not ready to hang a banner. We need to have a, a convention, a conference to convene whether or not we are prepared and ready. Yes, yes, yes. Huh. I've answered all kinds of questions that I, weren't, that I was not prepared for. That now I am prepared for. But it kind of grinds me, you know. Did the angels have babies with man? Where'd the giants come from? Don't you think that, that there were aliens that built the pyramids? Where's that, where that in the Bible? I've answered all kinds of questions, kind of nonsense, but I can't just pass them off as nonsense. I gotta say, well, well, let's go to the word. Let's find out what the word says. It's, it's having children over and over and over again. Listen, if you don't want to ask a question, you don't want to answer a question, don't have babies, don't have children. Dad, what's this for? What's that for? What's that for? Yeah. Come on, parents, you know that. You know why you had the second one? Because you forgot what the first one was doing. Amnesia allowed us to populate the earth. Thank God, though, after a few, you can just say, go ask your brother. You want to have, have a revival? Anybody want to have a revival? Okay. You're going to have intellectuals walk in here. They don't want to fool around. Uh huh. They need answers. They want answers. They want to sit down over coffee. They want you to explain the scripture. You want to have a revival? You want to have a Holy Ghost revival? I want to have it. I cannot, I, I cannot manufacture it. God wants it. The question is, do we want it? Are you ready? Are you ready to roll like I'm talking about rolling? I'm talking about taking down the devil. I'm taking, I'm talking about taking down every stronghold. Are you ready for that? Hear me. Are you really ready? I'm not saying there's not after effects, but are you ready for addictions to fall off? Are you ready for, are you ready for all kinds of things to fall off right in the middle of the church service? Are you ready for instant miracles and wonders and signs and Holy Ghost? Because you don't get there. Without prayer, without fasting. Because some things don't come out without prayer and fasting. Well, I, I know what people want. 
They want the feel-good moment. They want the evangelist that tells them how good it's going to be. They want the prophetic word that kind of kind of boasts out of what's going to happen in their life. Hear me. If you want all of that, you got to push away from the dinner table. you got to get down on your knees. you got to get through your house. you got to put on some music and pray to God that he would do it. And when you get in the car, you got to keep thinking about God. And when you come to church, you got to praise. And when you don't feel like it, you got to praise. And when you're ill, you got to worship. And when you're low and you got no money, you got to give. And when you're lonely, you got to be friendly. And when you are weak, you got to be strong. And when you are helpless, you got to be helpful. Look, I'm glad that our government has some safety nets. Praise God. If you are struggling and you need welfare, praise God. We're going to help you. That's why I give my taxes, pay my taxes. I give my my offerings to the Lord. I return them to him. I pay my taxes. And the government will take it. But I'm glad for everybody who needs the welfare system and and they're using it. Praise God. I want you to have that. But hear me. This house is not a welfare church. This is not a place where you come in and think, I'm going to give you everything. You cannot understand everything in one hour surely I cannot preach everything you need in two services on Sunday and perhaps you might feel good enough to come here on Wednesday and hear a little bit about prophecy I want to tell you it might sound mundane it might sound a little old but you need to get up on Monday and say I gotta have a fresh word I need a manna on Tuesday I need more than manna not just on Sunday morning I gotta have it on Friday I gotta have it on Saturday I got it. I got it. I wasn't born yesterday. And like Herring said, this ain't my first rodeo. My first rodeo, that was a date with Tammy. She took me to a rodeo in Lake Charles. That was so much fun. I got to the house. Just got done with the revival, got to her house. She said, we're going to go to a rodeo. Man, I am, I am happy. Now, I grew up in the country, but it wasn't real country. You know, it was poor, but really, not really country. I found it when I found her I got to the house and of course you know, I was always thinking maybe maybe if I could just dress up a little bit I started to evangelize and I realized my clothes from Walmart wouldn't work and thank God Steve Richardson bought me some stuff from Nordstrom he said listen this is how you dress Put this shirt on, this tie. That was so cool. He said, look at this fabric. Told me how many fibers and stuff is in the fabric. That was so neat. Loved it. I kind of got cultured a little bit. Almost kind of a yuppie. Got off the plane, got to her house, and she said, you can't wear those kind of clothes. Pulled out ropers. Put your blue jeans on. I got you a red Carhartt shirt and some ropers. Man, that was the time of my life. I blended in. I was at the rodeo. I had ropers. I had a Carhartt shirt and my blue jeans. They weren't Wrangler. But I figured as long as I was sitting down, nobody would know. That was the best moment. Because I knew I was at the rodeo. I was part of the rodeo. If you're going to go to the rodeo, you got to dress like you belong in the rodeo. If you're going to be a part of a Pentecostal church, you got to have a little Holy Ghost and some prayer and some shouting and some clapping. No, you didn't got me yet. Because you can be in the building but not be in the church. And I'd rather you be in the church than just occupy the building. Why? Because God is calling us to do something. And you've got to answer the question. I'm ready. I'm ready to sacrifice everything. I'm ready.
So I say it. Thank you, Pastor Andrew, and your beautiful wife, of whom I am her biggest fan, for all that you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan and Amanda, for sacrificing countless hours. For all the teachers and musicians, thank you. I just want you to know, however, you can't bring your child here and expect them to be spiritual. Because a one-hour you service cannot combat 24 hours of what you allow in your home. This ain't a spiritual welfare house. They can't turn around. They don't have magic wands to turn around what you allow. And don't come in here thinking that after all the garbage you poured into your mind that a good sermon will just make it all right. No. Hear me. I got a question for you. Are you ready to give up everything besides the Lord? Are you ready to give up everything besides the gospel and the pursuit and the commission? All right. I'm looking at the text here now. These two great men, the elder prophet Elijah, is walking by. He calls the young man, but not the way that I would think. The elder just briefly places his mantle across the immature shoulders of the younger and then removes it. And in response, obviously knowing this is a pivotal moment, Maybe some interaction is taking place at some other time. Perhaps it's a custom. Maybe Elisha knew. Maybe something we are not privy to. But in response, he knows. I'm going to come, but first, I've got some family business to take care of. To which the elder prophet answers, after what I've just done for you, What did he do? What did Elijah do that was so profound? Can anyone see it? I say that you have to perceive it because it's not painted very well. The prophet simply allowed his mantle to rest on the body of the younger. It wasn't just a piece of cloth. It was heritage. It was anointing. It was succession. It was the beginning of the passing of authority, power, and purpose. And he looks back and says, I've just done something for you. This is your response. And immediately conviction hits the younger. And Elisha turns on his heels. He marches back to the means, his wealth, and he slaughters those oxen, and he takes that wooden yoke, he breaks it, he burns it, it's a day's event, he feeds it, in front of all the people of his community, because he wants to make sure, there's nothing to go back to, he's ready, you see, if there's something to go back to, You'll always remember what you left behind. But if you throw caution to the wind and you say, Pastor, I'm going to do everything I can. It doesn't matter. I'm giving my whole life for the gospel's sake. I want to stand up and say, We're going. We're rolling. We're teaching. We're reaching. But we don't get there until we answer the question, the flight of 9-11. And you've got to think about it. Because it's not a flighty thing. There is heartache in the path. There is people that you give yourself to. That betray you. And wound you. And hurt you. And then you've got to get up from there. And go take on someone else. As if nothing else happened the first time. Are you ready? Because we got people who say, well, you know, listen, the reason why I'm not involved is I've been burned. Really? 
That's why you're not involved. So you've been burned. I'm going to tell you what. Nobody close to Jesus ever left unscathed. They were all burned and some of them literally. And Jesus knows this. And he says in Luke 14. For which of you intending to build a tower. You don't sit down first count the cost. Whether you have a sufficient to finish it. Lest happily after he laid the foundation. He's not able to finish it. And everyone mocks him. Verse 30 saying this man began to build. He was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king. Doesn't sit down first. He consults. Whether he be able with his 10,000. To come against him that has 20,000 or else. While the other is yet a great way off. He sends out someone. And realizes, I'm ill-equipped. I wasn't ready. So likewise, verse 33, Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Whoever is here that doesn't forsake everything, clap, sing, give. But if you don't forsake all, Jesus said, you can't, be his disciple. That's why I say we got to have a, a convention of will. And we got to say from the back to the front, not to me, but to the Lord. We're ready. We're ready. Not just to me, but to one another. You can count on me. I ain't missing. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I don't care what happens. I'm going to go forward. We got to look at the city. And if we're rejected a hundred times. The hundred and one time. Might be the moment. That you're accepted. I'm talking about having a Holy Ghost revival. That entails people. Who will give up real things. Advancements. Like Ed Schaefer. Who could have left a long time ago and had a lot of job opportunities. But he said, I can make more money in other places. But I'm not leaving my church. I want to know, are there people like that here? Look, it's not just about me, but I want to know what happens in the next segment of time. What happens in the next few years of time? What happens when we get a different building and you can move out and spread out? Can we take care of that building? Are there enough volunteers to vacuum the carpet? Right now, we probably need about three couples to join our Wednesday night kids' church. That's right. We need three couples that would be, have some energy and some life with love. And answer the children again. Because the generational church that we're trying to build entails a massive flow of young children. Sister Amanda presented it to us. It's called the 414 window. Because by the time a 14 year old closes the book on that year, they've already made their decisions. Who they're going to be. What faith they're going to have. If they're going to believe in God. What church they're going to be in. Between the ages of 5 and 11, we're praying for 500 children. Who's going to take care of 500 children? Yeah. This was getting good until I really talked about what we needed. I'm going to tell you what. We need to have 500 children. If we need to stop all the adult stuff, let's have 500 children. Because you know why? Because if you get the children, you'll get the parents, you'll get the grandparents, you'll get the grandmas, their aunties, their uncles, their papas, their mamas. Hey, thank God. Hear me. Your pastor's wife was a bus kid. I want to tell you right now, we need to have more buses. We need to have more children activities. We need to get our babies. Hear me, Pastor Andrew. I'll tell you how to have a great youth group. You start them when they're two and three and five, and you put the word into them, and by the time they reach 12, they'll be on fire.
Are you ready? Are you ready to give up everything? Are you ready to cash it all in and say, I'm all in. I'm going to do it. Hey, 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 I'm a little frustrated at let's roll. I'm a little aggravated at let's roll. Why? Because everybody wants let's roll, but they don't want to go to the music and face the music and say, we got a decision to make. We got a decision. You want to have an apostolic church? You got to live like an apostolic. You want a Holy Ghost filled church? You got to live like a righteous called out man and woman. Come on now. Let's just get real. You want to have a bunch of babies out of wedlock? Then don't teach any holiness and don't teach any purity and, and let everybody do whatever they want to. Hear me. I want to have people that love God. I want to have people that serve the Lord. I want to have children that don't grow up raising children. I want to have a Holy Ghost righteous body. a question for you are you ready just pardon me if I'm a little bit um, obtuse it's a wonderful word I rarely use It might be time to get over yourself and stop whining about what you have and don't have. Because if you got one young person or child in your home, it stopped being you. The moment, the moment you got the report that you were going to have a baby, it stopped being about you. Uh-huh. All these people who think, hey, you know, we're just going to do whatever we want to. We don't, we can have babies. We're, let, let me tell you something. It stopped being about us the moment one of these folks walked in here and said, teach me about the Lord. This is what I love about Brother Zach. He got up in a leadership meeting. He said, let me tell you why. This is what Brother Zach said. Let me tell you why, Sister Lacey and I, why we sing some of the same songs over and over again. She said, I'm not trying to bore anybody, but people are walking to the church, and if we sing new songs every Sunday, they'll never learn the words. But if we could just sing them over and over again a little bit, if we could just have a little patience. Listen, you might have heard the song 1,000 times. I'm going to tell you right now, from the back to the front, keep singing the song. Act like you care. Act like you're interested, because it's not about you. It's it's not about what you like. Hear me? Are you ready? Hey, we're going to have a children's program in Christmas. And I want you to come and I'll tell you why. Because it's not about you. But don't tell me you want revival and you ignore the children. You're lying. You're not telling the truth. Don't tell me you want a Holy Ghost revival, but you walk past the babies. That's the church. You know, I used to be an evangelist and I and never preached like this. My God, do you never get another service in your life? They would just kick you out right there. I just want you to know, we got some decisions to make now. Here's our decisions. We got about eight feet of altar. We need about 25 feet of altar. Because I'm thinking, one of these days is going to click and there's going to be nobody in the pew. See how devious I am that way? I'm... One day it's going to click. We're going to have a powerful service and people are going to be laying everywhere. We've had them before. So how are we going to do it? I'll tell you how we're going to do it. We're not going after money. We're going after people. We're going after friends. You see, if you catch the fish, you get everything that's in their mouth. 
all of their family, all of their friends, all of their talent, all their passion. See, we're after people, everybody, from the high to the low. You want to have a Holy Ghost revival? You're going to have to have some addicts come in. Gone are the days when I would just get a pack of Marlboros. I used to get Marlboros all the time, packs of Marlboros. I'd just stick them in my suit coat. One time I put it in my sermon notebook. I just closed it up. I was riding with a pastor and I forgot they were there and I opened it up. Boom. <laughs> Sorry, Reverend. <laughs> Gone are those days. I wish it would be that easy. Now I'm getting satanic symbols on chains. Just the mere look of them just kind of makes my, my skin crawl. Now we're getting hardcore drugs laid on the altar. You don't know it, but we're getting them. Now, if we don't want that, then we don't want revival. I'm going to tell you right now, we want everybody. We want the up and outers. We want the down and outers. We want the blended family. We want the single mamas. We want the abused. We want the intellectuals. We want the high. We want the low. We want the doctors and the attorneys. We want the drug addicts and the drug dealers. We want you. We want your friends. We want your family. We want your neighbors. We want your enemies. We want the people that you know and the people you have yet to know. Are you ready to have a Holy Ghost revival? what the Lord told me Joshua marched around Jericho for seven days to overcome the city but he said what if the walls was not the world what if the walls were the, was the unbelief of the church come on it's time to tear everything down we're going to have a Holy Ghost revival come on somebody tell me you're ready somebody tell me you're ready somebody tell me you're ready I gotta know we're ready. I gotta, I gotta know we're ready for another hundred, another five hundred, another thousand. I gotta know we're ready for some hungry people, from some people that don't want it, but they're gonna be drawn in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on, just let the Lord know it. Let the Lord know it. Let the church know it. We're ready for a revival. We're ready for a powerful revival. This world's coming crashing down. It's coming down. Here he is coming down. You might as well get the victory right now. It's all coming down. You got to convene right here and say, I'm going to do everything, everything, everything I can. I'm going to do everything I can.